electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer America. I'm Bill and my friends. I'm just trying to make you a little money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Every time... You're tempted to believe we can mount a significant rally. You have to recognize that by the time anyone's thinking like that, the rally already seems long in the tooth. Look what happened today. The Dow ultimately gained 338 points. S&P climbed 1.14%. NASDAQ advanced 0.90%. But, you know, that was down substantially, substantially from where it was earlier in the day. Why? Because every advance in this market is predicated on so many things going right. The dollar being stable, interest rates staying steady or going lower, oil not going up, sentiment remaining negative enough that everybody who is going to sell has already sold. Sell, sell, sell. Notice what I didn't say these moves are predicated upon. The stocks themselves, sometimes I think they've become tiny playthings, maybe tiles in a giant game of rummy cube or some plastic ball with holes that goes by the name of pickleball. Today, for example, we got results from Goldman Sachs, Lockheed Martin, Johnson Johnson, three of the most important companies in the world. You know what? All three were excellent. But you know what shined the brightest? Lockheed. Why? It vaulted 9%. You know what happened? Yeah. Okay, sure. There's a war going on in Ukraine. They need our merchandise. But more importantly, going into the quarter, money managers were getting calls from the brokers that Lockheed would miss its projections. And failed to return capital to its shareholders. Now, I have no idea how these rumors got started. But that's the reason for this turbocharged rally. So many people were betting against Lockheed. And when the numbers were good, those short sellers had to buy back their stock in order to close out their position. And that, I think, is a microcosm for the whole market. The stocks that run up the biggest, the indices that were on certain days, are often a function of how few people remain in the market and how many money managers are terrified of a rally because they've taken the other side of the trade. The one thing 
The one thing these people aren't doing, they're not investing. That's right. The people who are moving huge sums of money in and out and in and out of stocks barely seem to even care about how individual companies are doing. They're all about the spoos, meaning the S&P index futures. They are no different from betting on wheat or corn or oil or sometimes, honestly, I feel red or black like at the roulette wheel. Now, I've railed against this issue for ages, but this time it's different. Why? Because as much as I like J&J or Goldman Sachs, and I am a fan of both, right now they're treated just like bushels of wheat, and they're not bushels of wheat. And that bushel goes down in value every time interest rates go up, regardless of how the companies are really performing, and they're performing perfectly. It is so unnerving to me because it keeps us from putting together strong back-to-back-to-back sessions. I went two or three in a row. It makes you want to give up on the whole business of investing, which many of you are, because the whole market's hostage to interest rates. Let me give you another example. Today, an activist firm called Starboard Value made a presentation about how Salesforce, the stock, is undervalued, in part because management has been running things to generate and they, not, they, for sales, not for earnings. They've been more focused on revenue. Market share, overall dominance. Now, I could go deep in the weeds here. I'm going to talk about this later, by the way. I know Jeff Smith, who runs Starboard. Good relationship with Mark Benioff, by the way, the co-CEO of Salesforce. And they share a common goal, a higher stock price. It also helps that Benioff recently adopted a more hardline approach toward profitability. He cares about the earnings now, not pursuing growth at any cost. But what strikes me here is that all of this is irrelevant in the current environment, where enterprise software stocks are totally out of style in what I always call the Wall Street fashion show. Without a large dividend, one that gives you a higher yield than you can get from the two-year treasury, currently at 4.4%, along with a cheap price earnings multiple, it's impossible for Salesforce to buck the trend more than a day or two before slipping right back down. That's the nature of this particular beast. You need stocks that can escape the clutches of oil, of interest rates, of the dollar, of inflation. And that's very hard. Hey, listen, take Netflix. They just reported, right? They reported a magnificent quarter this very evening. So its stock soar. Netflix delivered a monster 96-cent earnings beat off a 214 basis with 2.41 million new subscriber additions. When Wall Street was only looking for a little more than 1 million, they also gave excellent subscriber guidance for the next quarter, and they told a compelling story about the new ad-supported tier. I liked everything. Now the stock of Netflix is roaring, some short squeeze, but as great as it is, it's definitely not great enough to get the stock back to 700, where it was trading before the Fed declared war on inflation. You better believe this rally would be much, much bigger. Maybe up, 50, maybe up 100 points if it weren't for the strong dollar, the bond market, raging inflation, oil. So what do we do? I don't want to encourage trading. Most people simply don't have the time to trade. Very hard to do if you've got a real job. That's why I encourage you to find businesses you like, preferably ones with dividends that sell at inexpensive price to earnings multiples, so you can buy their stocks into weakness. Think of it like this. If you love Netflix's programming and you decided to buy their stock at this time last year, you paid nearly $700. When it didn't make its projections, it fell to the low of 160 If you tried to buy this thing on the way down, you would have gotten eviscerated. Because it's got no protection. Only multimillionaires can afford those kinds of losses. Now, if you are buying the stock of an oil company that spews cash and sports an 8% dividend yield, or a pharmaceutical company that makes successful drugs and offers a high yield, then I think you can ride things out by buying more stock in a weakness. These equities absolutely get cheaper as they go down, and their dividends cushion the blow. As for Netflix, I like that the company's turning itself around. But the next time we get some aggressive commentary from the Fed, this thing is going to get hit all over again. 
If you buy it here, you may be pressing your luck. I would rather have you own the stock of Disney. Travel Trust owns it, which hasn't moved yet. It's got a similar business model for streaming and could benefit from an advertising stream. Now, there have been other markets where I would say, let's go for growth here, recognizing that it's fine to overpay for growth stocks. In fact, I did just that for Salesforce.com for years. And it was a big winner because we weren't worried about the Fed or the bond market, inflation, oil, PPI, CPI. We didn't have to run a horrible gauntlet for stocks to rally on good news. And stocks weren't pickleballs or rummy cubes. That's not how it is right now. Recognizing, recognizing that, recognizing what kind of market we're in. A treacherous one where good earnings aren't enough to move a stock much higher. Remember, like Lockheed, like Netflix, you need people betting against that stock in order to have it soar. The bottom line. You have to resist the urge to rent stocks because you'll get evicted when they inevitably decline in price. Instead, you should be willing to own your favorites that have dividend and valuation protection and buy more into weakness because this market's making so many stocks so cheap and eventually will stop being hostage to the Fed's war on inflation and you'll make a lot of money. Until then, though, buckle up because it's going to be a very bumpy ride. Let's go to Dan in Pennsylvania. Dan! Hey, Jim. Damn, what's up? Not much. You tell me, Jim. I hear when you well, walk into a room, uh, the Netflix is on. Well, I mean, wait, let's, uh, let's try to make some money together. What's going on? I'm looking to possibly purchase some Visa stock. You know, I was working on Visa today because of some problems with maybe uh, the Senate. And uh, I'm going to have to discourage you from buying Visa right now at 187. It sells at 25 times earnings. That's too rich, even though I think it's a great company. I do prefer MasterCard a little more, but those are expensive, and I don't have any appetite for expensive stocks right now. Let's go to Steve in Virginia. Steve. Hey, how you doing, Jim? I like to say booyah. Other than that, I'm a member of the investing club. I think it's a bargain. I think you do. You really, I really appreciate what you do for our retail us retail investors. Yes. You just made my day. That's what we work on all weekend. We do it every night. I do a nice piece, by the way, Sunday night for everybody. Even after an Eagles victory, I take time out and I write that piece. What's going on? Well, Constellation Brands, okay? You recommended it. Sounded great. I watched your interview with the CEO. I was going to go pull a trigger, but I noticed the P.E. ratio was almost 700. So no, 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 that's not the real one. It's, it's got it's a much lower one that's been it's exaggerated by some accounting issues. I want you to buy the stock. I think they had a great quarter. It is way too cheap. STZ, that's one to buy. The trust has it. The trust wants more of it. Now, you have to resist the urge to rent stocks. Just own your favorites with dividend protection, with low multiples, and buy more in the weakness because this market is making many stocks very cheap for the long haul. And we're going to get off this wild ride someday. We'll make money tonight. Vici announced after the bell a new partnership with Canyon Ranch, one of my places to, to hang out. Give the experiential REIT some exposure to the wellness space. So I'm thinking the details top and bottom. And J&J reported earlier today. So what should you make of the results? I'll give you my take. And the pharma space has some fresh faces on the street. So I'm giving you the info you need to know about three of these names, including one that you asked me about just last night in the lightning round. How's that for service? So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? 
Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreated in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. They're mostly terrible year for stocks. You know that. There are some names that I have felt confident recommending, like Vici, V-I-C-I Properties, a real estate investment trust that owns a large portfolio of casino, hospitality, and entertainment destinations, including ones you know, Caesars, MGM Grand Venetian, three of the most iconic locations of the Vegas Strip. Our thesis here is pretty simple, people. The casino companies themselves face some, some risk as we head into a recession, but their landlords are much safer bets, including Vici, which gives you a 5.1% yield. I first recommended this one at 28 in mid-June, but I also liked it when it came public. Then it traded up to 35 by mid-August, but now it's back to 30 and change. Of course, because of the market-wide meltdown, rising rates for treasuries. As I see it, it means you're getting another bite at the apple. I like this story. So please, you got to welcome Vici Properties uh, and get this Canyon Ranch. Why? Because they've announced a deal to finance a brand new property for Canyon Ranch, the wellness retreat chain, right outside of Austin. Consider me intrigued. So let's check in with Ed Petoniak. He's the CEO of Vici Properties and a guest of the show before. New guest, John Goft, Canyon Ranch's principal owner. Gentlemen, welcome to Mad Money. Good to be back with you, Jim. Well, I got to tell you, I have seen, Ed, you have offered a level of stability where there isn't. And I think some of it's because experiential, but some of it's because you are a shrewd judge of properties. Walk us through this deal. Yeah, so, um, you know, 
this is this is the most famous investment uh, discussion forum in America in a great new place. And when John and I were uh, getting our partnership together, I said, John, we've got to go visit my friend Jim uh, because we want to talk with Jim about the most important investment anybody can ever make, and that is investing in themselves, right? Investing in their wellness, investing in their health. Um, we, we formed a thesis around pilgrimage experiences, which I talked about with you a couple months yes. ago with Cabot Golf. Canyon Ranch is a pilgrimage experience, right? If you want to pursue your personal health and wellness to the ultimate degree, um, Canyon Ranch is where you want to go. Canyon Ranch has earned the right to grow. We could not be more excited to put capital behind John and Jeff Kuster as CEO and the team in growing that brand the way it deserves to grow. All right, so John, your partnership, but it's also pretty much, it's a facility with a right to be able to buy. Now, uh, those of us who have been to Canyon Ranch know that we think it can scale. You, you talk about trillions of dollars. I actually believe that because wellness is the most important thing we can have. Tell us about your end. And do you want to uh, take the loan to maybe one day sell out, be partners? How does it look from your side? Well, this gives us a whole new angle for growth. Uh, as we sit today, we're a capital intensive business because we own our properties. And to add incremental properties, we have to find that capital. With Ed, and Vici, we have a whole new dimension of growth. We can actually become an operating entity and lay off the actual big hard assets to them and they can own them more efficiently than we can and fund them more efficiently. So we could become a pure operating business and I love that model. Well, I've always felt that we need more Canyon ranches. When I went to the Lennox one, I had a fabulous experience. And I always said, well, look, I'd like to go to a couple in some warm areas, some different areas. Uh, you have the possibility of having four or five more in this country. Absolutely. And as part of this announcement, uh, we indicated our uh, intention to build one right outside of Austin, Texas, which is one of the fastest growing demographics in the country. OK, so Ed, how is everything else doing? Because uh, your stock's been remarkable. And I think a lot of that has to, be, to do with the fact that even though rates have gone up, you have growth and companies that have growth and income are working. Yeah, exactly right, Jim. And I think we're also helped by the fact that being the biggest real estate owner in the Las Vegas Strip, I think the world knows, as CNBC has helping, make, helping people understand, the Las Vegas Strip right now is the busiest place on earth, and the outlook for 2023 is just lights out. So when you take the stability of our existing business and you combine it, as you say, with our growth prospects, both in gaming and now very meaningfully in non-gaming, uh, we believe we can give people a combination of capital appreciation and continuing dividend growth. I, since we last right. saw you, we Which jacked I our love. dividend another 8%. Um, you know, we, we, we provide a really virtuous combination of capital appreciation and yield in a world right now where that's awfully hard to find. And it's funny. I remember you, the Goldman deal, I don't know, it came around 15. And people said, ah, and I said, that's the kind of deal I always want. The ones they say, ah, because the hot ones are the ones that go right collapse into earth. Yours has been just terrific. I meet people all the time who have bought your stock because they're intrigued and they've all done well. And I think that that's fantastic. And they'll continue to do well. I want to thank Ed Petoniak. He's the CEO of Vici Properties, V-I-C-I, and John Goff, Canyon Ranch's principal owner. For those who haven't been to Canyon Ranch, by the way, it is an excellent place to start feeling better about yourself. Clean yourself up, too, by the way, if you're really, you know, in that game. I don't know. I felt pretty good after I came back. Man Money's back after the break. Coming up, can J&J find a bottom? Kramer gets to the business of curing what ails this blue chipper. Next. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. 
Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. This morning, we got a host of important earnings reports, including results from one of my absolute favorite companies, Johnson & Johnson. I like this one so much, we own it for the Travel Trust. Although j and is a textbook slowdown stock, it's pulled back pretty hard over the past six months, formed from 186 and change at its peak in April to 159 at its lows earlier this month, before rebounding to $166 today. I had some hope going into today's number that this quarter would be an opportunity for the stock to finally get some momentum going, it didn't play out that way. Wall Street was less than impressed with J&J, only dipping 0.35%. Although it, it was down a lot more earlier in the session, it reported the stock had jumped almost three bucks before market trading. And I have to admit, I was pretty excited. Now, it's not like a J&J missed the numbers, just the opposite. The Brothers Johnson turned in a very good, solid top and bottom line beat. While the update to their full-year forecast was more mixed, I think it's skewed to the positive side. In my view, today's pullback represents a very strong buying opportunity because James has got so many strong catalysts along the way, including, and most importantly, its impending breakup. That's why you need to understand that the breakup is the real story here, although no one seemed to pay attention to it during the trading today. A little less than a year ago, Johnson Johnson announced that they'd be spinning off their slower-growing consumer health business, with the remaining company focusing on pharma and medical technology. That split's likely to come next year. Now, after the breakup announcement, the stock did pretty damn, pretty did well, hitting new highs in March and April, while the rest of the market was rolling over. Remember, J&J is a textbook recession-proof stock. If you think we're going to recession, this is the one. It's exactly the kind of name you want to own when the Federal Reserve decides to slam the brakes on the economy. Especially now that commodity inflation seems to have peaked, meaning they can get their raw costs under control. Headwinds are becoming tailwinds here. When J&J reported in late January, they gave you a terrific set of numbers. Three months later, you got a clean top and bottom line beat, although management slightly trimmed their full-year forecast. Since then, the stock's been marching steadily lower, even though the underlying business is in very good shape, despite having to cope with the insanely strong dollar, which hurts their overseas earnings power. And man, these guys are a powerhouse overseas, more than almost any company I, I follow. So this was the setup coming into the morning. 
Then J&J reported what I thought was a pretty darn good quarter, something we covered very closely for the CBC Investing Club. We had a good write-up. The company gave you a nice revenue beat, up 8.2% on an adjusted basis. Oh, that's only 1.9% when you account for the impact of one-time items and these stupid currency fluctuations. Currency's real ugly as their overseas sales took a 12.6% hit from the strong dollar. Still, we knew that was coming. Meanwhile, they gave you a $0.07 earnings beat off a $2.48 basis. The stock still ended up getting hit, though, in part because management issued somewhat conservative guidance. The midpoint of their updated full-year earnings forecast implies that J&J will earn $2.24 per share in the fourth quarter, which is $0.06 less than the analysts were hoping for. And that's the way this game is played. $0.06 means a great deal, even though I know and you know it was a great quarter. It's not ideal. But the reason why there was a hit was half of it came from currency fluctuations. And I think the rest came from the need of management to be conservative in this difficult environment and concerns about its pending breakup. I thought it made sense. Why not be cautious? But in the end, J&J still got a fabulous story. The split up remains on track. And once they spin off the consumer health business next year, you're going to be looking for a much faster growing pure play on drugs and medical technology, which I can tell you a lot of the people in the industry are very excited about, not just at J&J. One reason I'm thrilled about the breakup is that the underlying businesses are all really doing well. On the pharma side, J&J had 9% sales growth. That's going to be about the best of almost all the major pharmas. They got a bunch of different focuses here. Uh, their immunology business up 5.6%. That's fueled by their Crohn's disease drug and their treatment for psoriasis. Although both of those came in slightly weaker than expected. Their oncology division on fire up 20% thanks to some huge anti-cancer drugs, including a novel prostate cancer formulation. Other than that, neuroscience up uh, 5.9%. The rest, infectious disease, cardiovascular, pulmonary hypertension, all fine. Then there's the medical technology side, the other part of the business that J&J is keeping after the breakup. They had 8.1% revenue growth, strength in surgery, orthopedics, and interventional uh, solutions. I was thrilled with that. That is a major, major pickup from where it was not that long ago. Finally, there's the consumer health division, the one they're signing off next year as a new entity called Kenview, K-N-V-U-E. I do not make up these names. And look, this one's not bad. Growing at a 4.7% clip, better than most of its other compadres. J&J seeing real strength in over-the-counter drugs and women's health, along with decent numbers in skin health and really fabulous numbers in beauty products. I thought Magic would give us more insight in the breakup on the conference call. Really lay out the whole story. They didn't. But it looks like we'll have to wait for that update. Once we get it, though, I'm confident it's going to be a tremendous catalyst. Put it all together, I think J&J is doing a very good job of navigating its way through a tough environment. I wouldn't profile it on this show otherwise. It sure doesn't hurt that they're throwing off a ton of free cash flow. More than, again, than almost any other company, AAA balance sheet doing everything right, which gives them the flexibility to invest in R&D, makes potentially terrific acquisitions, and, of course, return capital yield. Big buyback, strong dividend, 2.7% yield. The biggest drag on this story is a ridiculously strong dollar, which we may be stuck with, and also serious cost inflation, which actually will be getting better over the course of next year, because nearly all of their key commodities have come down substantially from their highs. It just takes time for those supply contracts to roll over. I said the same thing last week about PepsiCo. Now, I wanted this quarter to be more of a game changer than it was, but the numbers were solid and bullish long term. Perhaps more important, at one point, J&J stock was down more than three bucks. Then over the course of the day, buyers circled back, erased nearly all those losses. That's encouraging. Bottom line, I'm not trying to call the bottom in J&J stock. That is what I call a mugs game. This remains a tricky market, even if we had a couple good days in a row. 
But I like the way J&J has been trading over the last couple of months. And after the quarter we saw this morning, I think it is precisely the kind of stock that you need to buy as we head into 2023, which should be a much better year for the new, much faster growing Johnson & Johnson. Charlie in New York. Charlie. Hi, Jim. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Charlie. How about you? Good, thanks. Been a viewer for a long time, and I'm in the club since you started it. Uh, oh, thank you. you thank you. Thank you. Now, Close one. Well, I know you admire the folks at Regeneron and Moderna. Right. You never seem to buy them. Uh, how come? Now, Regeneron what? in early September popped up, and I sold all but one of my well, shares. Well, Regeneron had this great new uh, ILEA formulation. Regeneron's got so much of the pipeline, you should buy it. I think that this that Ledger is doing a remarkable job. I first recommended the stock at five when we started the show. It's now at seven twenty-two, and I don't think it's done. Pretty amazing. I do not think it's done. Now look, I'm not trying to call the bottom in J and J, but I like the way the stock's been trading in the last couple of months, and I've been looking for a stock to tell you to buy that's not too expensive that could be worth going into the year 2023. A terrific, terrific time, even if there's a recession. Much more mad money ahead. The pharma space has seen a host of spinoffs in the last couple of years. I mentioned one just now. I'm breaking down the bad, the bad, and the, well, I don't know, bad. Then today we learned that Starboard Value took a significant stake in Kramer Faith's Salesforce. So what should you make of the headlines? I'm going to give you my take. And all your calls rapid fire tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. Last night, we got a call from Scott in California about a company called Organon. That's a recent spinoff from Merck, the big pharma powerhouse. And while I recognized this one from the old days, Shearing Plow, I told him I needed to take a little time to do some homework before I gave an answer. Why? Because Organon's been a real dog since it separated from Merck in the middle of last year. It's now down an astounding 35% from its first day of trading. No thank you. But what made me hesitate yesterday is that it's not immediately obvious why Organon hasn't worked. It's a profitable company created when Merck spun off its slower-growing women's health, biosimilars, and legacy brands as a new entity. Lots of generics in there. It's not particularly exciting, but it generates a ton of cash, plus it pays a generous dividend that currently yields a terrific 4.6%. And has insanely cheap stock. It's trading at less than five times this year's earnings estimates. You know, the average multiple for the S&P is three times that, a little more. Yet, Organon's been an astoundingly total loser. Nobody wants it. And you know what? It's not alone. As I thought this one over last night, it struck me that we've seen a number of big pharma spinoffs in recent years, and those stocks have all been awful. In November of 2020, Pfizer spun off the slower-growing Beatrice, and it's done terribly. This summer, GlaxoSmithKline spun off its consumer products business as Halion, which was a near-instant dud. So tonight, we're going back to to Scott who was so kind to call from California, on Organon, a one-day homework turnaround. Hey, how's that for service? But we also want to dig deeper into why none of these big pharma spinoffs seem to be working here. Figure out whether any of them are ever worth buying, or perhaps maybe there's some magic formula that will make it work. Let's start with Organon. Merck decided to break off this part of the business 16 months ago as a way to separate its slower-growing units from the rest of the company, while also unloading some of the debt. Initially, Organon sold off quite a bit. But then the stock started coming back, rallying nicely over its first year of trading. 
It peaked around $39 this March and nearly revisited that level in late May. However, in recent months, this stock has come plummeting back to earth, sinking to $22 and change just last week for rebounding to around $24 today, down from $37 when Merck spun it off. Well, that's a big loss. With that kind of decline, you might think Organon's reporting numbers, they had to be awful, right? Wrong. These guys have reported five times since the spinoff, and they beat top and bottom line expectations every time. The only fly in the ointment here is that when Organon delivered its most recent results in August, they hit you with a guide down, lowering their revenue forecast because of the strong dollar, of course, and lowering their EBITDA forecast because of higher R&D costs. The guide down, they weren't that severe, though. And the stock was already falling before we knew the numbers were coming down. So how do we explain the stock's dismal performance? In the end, Organon is doing just fine. But they haven't been able to attract many investors, particularly institutional investors, in recent months. Uh, given, well, the stock's gotten cheaper and cheaper, the yield's gotten higher and higher. Last month, Piper Sandler even upgraded the stock from neutral to overweight, arguing that there's simply not that much downside left here. So I puzzled and puzzled and puzzled, and I think I've complicated. I think the problem here is pretty straightforward, actually. Merck spun off Organon precisely because they wanted to unload their least attractive assets. They've got a bunch of drugs that are steadily losing patent protection and nothing that is interesting in the pipeline. Very hard for Wall Street to get excited about that. When you give everybody the draws, you can't just say, wow, it's gold. In the end, Organon's been able to mostly hit its targets, and the stock looks dirt cheap with a juicy 4.6% yield. But I have no idea if they could hit the earnings estimates going forward, which means it's tough to tell whether this one's a deep value stock or just a value trap. I'm not sure it's worth the anxiety to stick around and find out. And by the way, they hit their targets. They beat their targets. Who cares about their targets? Next up, roughly two years ago, Pfizer spun off its off-patent and generic drug business as Beatrice. By, uh, it rhymes with Beatrice. That's how I remember it. By merging it with, because there's no other reason to remember it, believe me. By merging it with the old Myelin Pharma, a company that I told you to sell since I took the show over 17 years ago. Since then, they've sold their biosimilars business, that's generic drug for biotech, to an Indian company for more than $3 billion in cash and stock. They're also reportedly thinking about selling their European over-the-counter drug business. But just like Organon, this is not the part of pharma anyone gets excited about. In fact, it's even worse, because at least Organon has some patent protection for part of its portfolio. Pfizer spun off... Bad chart. Spun off Beatrice to get rid of their branded drugs that had lost patent protection and their generic business. Because neither of these are growth areas. It also hurt Pfizer's business. Off-patent branded drugs are the worst because their sales always shrink as generic competitors gobble up market share. It is one of the worst businesses in the world. Sure enough, the stock's now fallen 41% from where it's closed on its first day after the spinoff. This one's easier to understand, though. Oregon on, though, because we... The organ, it's easier to in than Organon because Beatrice has hit you with real downside surprises. They missed the revenue estimates in each of the last three quarters. And when they reported their most recent result in August, they cut their full-year forecast. Thanks for nothing. In the end, though, the real problem with Beatrice is that it's a slowly melting ice cube. Not like the big ones they give you now at the best bars, like a smaller one. Their sales are expected to shrink from nearly $18 billion last year to $15.7 billion in 2025, while their earnings fall from 370 per share to 333 over the same period. You cannot own a stock whose earnings are going to go down next year. You just can't. Sure, the stock, okay, it looks interesting, right? It sells it at less than three times this year's earnings, 5% dividend yield. But that's because Beatrice is a wasting asset. While there's some level where the business will stabilize, it's definitely down from here. I say no, thank you. Finally, how about this uh, Halion? It's H-A-L-E-O-N. You have to admit they come up with the worst names for these companies. Beatrice rhymes with Beatrice. 
Halion rhymes with, I don't know, Galeon, which uh, GlaxoSmithKline spun off in July. This one's a little different. It's Glaxo's consumer business merged with Pfizer's old consumer business. They're not selling generic drugs. They're selling Advil and Excedrin, Sensodyne. I use Sensodyne. Uh, Nicorette gum. I don't use Nicorette gum. Helion has a better growth profile than the other big pharma spinoffs, but the stock tanked just weeks after it started trading, tumbling from $7.41 at the close of its first day uh, to $5.59 at the bottom of September 2nd. Best thing you can say about the stock is that the September low is held. Yay! Stock's back to the $6 level. Now, Helion's only reported one quarter as a public company, and the results were actually impressive. 11.6% organic growth, not too shabby. So then what's the problem? Well, there are two issues here. First, Wall Street's worried about the Zant- this thing called the Zantac litigation, the popular but now recalled heartburn drug that alleged to have caused cancer in several personal injury lawsuits. Zantac has a complicated ownership history, and Hellion says they're not a part of the lawsuits, but it still hurt the stock. I think it's probably overdone, but you know how lawsuits, they're just dice rolls, can't tell. Second, this is more important. Pfizer and Glaxo still own 45% of the company's shares, and there's a fear the stock will get clobbered if or when they decide to sell their shares, perhaps in the open market. I like Hellion in theory, but it's not particularly cheap at 26 times next year's earnings estimates, and there's no plans to pay a dividend until next year. So there's absolutely no hurry with this one. So let me give you the bottom line. Wall Street has no patience for these big pharma spinoffs because they represent businesses that big pharma didn't want. And if big pharma didn't want them, why should we want them? Organon's not compelling enough to be worth the risk. Beatrice is awful. That's my Philadelphia accent. Halion's still unproven. I think there are better opportunities out there, even in a bear market. Now, if you do want a big pharma spinoff, J&J's about to give you Kenview, K-E-N-V-U-E, their consumer products business, and I'm betting it'll be a lot more attractive. Bad Money is back after the break. Coming up, Kramer takes your calls, and the sky is the limit. It's a fast fire lightning round. Next. It is time. It's up the lightning round. Okay, that's right. Click your calls right for you. Send the check to the bottom of the page. Plan it out. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? Time for the lightning round. Camera everybody. Let's start with John in California. John. Booyah, Jim. The stock Booyah, is John. Fresh Pets. I, I wrote it Fre- up to the Fresh top. Fresh Pets too expensive? It's too expensive? They're talking about maybe it's going to be an acquisition, maybe not. May I suggest you do Smucker? Or, I got to tell you, I think General Mills got a better pet food division. Let's go to Craig in California. Craig. Booyah, Ski Daddy. Jimmy Chill. Booyah. Ready, able, and Booyah, willing to Chief, do some what's happening? Tell me, tell me, what's I'll happening? Be- yeah, looking for a place to hide out here lately. Uh, Might have found a stock. Uh, had a good year. It's up about 60%. Still trades about eight times earnings. Got a decent dividend. December revenues look through the roof. What's your take on CF Industries? CF. I like the fertilizers. You know, they, uh, 40% of fertilizer comes from Belarus, Ukraine, and Russia, which means that everybody in that business is making very good money. I say stay long. Let's go to Susan in California. Susan. Hi, Jim. Thank you so much. I'm a club member. And the yes. email work that you do, especially on the weekends, just makes my day. So I just wanted to let oh, you know. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I'll tell my wife. She loves that hard work I do. Okay. okay. Let's go I'm to work. So glad. I love hearing about her. So thank my you. stock is Fiber, S-B-R-R, 
I'm upset. You know, in another market where they we're not fighting interest rates, not inflation, not fighting the Fed, not fighting the PPI, not fighting the CPI, I would like Fiverr. Right now, though, because it's losing money and doing all those things, I have to say, pass. Let's go to Chris in Michigan. Chris. Hey, how's it going, Jim? It's a good day. How about you, Chris? Doing good. I was wondering about I'm chilling. semiconductor. All right. I, right now, I got a pause. A pause in the semis. Why? Because we got so many problems right now in China. So many problems right now with a uh, surfeit of chips for certain industries, including maybe auto. I'm gonna have to say, oh, I don't want to do this because I like these guys, but don't buy, don't buy, don't buy. Okay. Don't now we're gonna go to Hunter in Louisiana. Hunter. Hey, Jim. Big booyah from Cajun country. Cajun. I give them a Jimmy Chill to Cajun country. Love that. What's up? Hey, I'm just wondering your thoughts on the coffee chain that's sweeping the nation. Dutch Brothers, Dutch Bros. Dutch Bros. Okay, my daughter introduced me to Dutch Bros. She gave me the the Annihilator. That's got a lot of caffeine. I didn't sleep for three days. But here's the problem with Dutch Bros. It has had uh, up and down, up and down. I want you to put half the position on now, and then half of it goes below 30. That's the way I feel about it. I like the stock, though. Okay, let's go to Mark in Washington. Mark. Uh, Wisconsin, Jim. Uh, congratulations on your Wisconsin. Phillies and your Eagles. Uh, yeah, and not the so bird, much they got for the Packers and, and Brewers. No, uh, maybe this next year. Next year. Go yeah, ahead. maybe. Uh, two. I'm sorry. I had Mark in Wisconsin. I screwed up the Mark. Uh oh. Uh oh. Let's go to my band. Let's go to Everett with Washington. Everett. Hi, this is Everett huh. from Washington. I have a station Everett. in New York. Bonded on the way down. Yes, this is Everett. Everett, go ahead. You're up. It's Jim. Okay, Jim. Um, I have a stake in Neo, N-I-O, in the stock market. And I've yeah. been it on the way down. And I'd like to know, uh, what is your long-term views for the outlook for NEO? What do you think it's going to be? Well, i got to tell you, I don't like the Chinese stock market, and therefore I have to say no to that. I do believe that they're going to open up China eventually, but so far they have not, and I think that that stock is not a buy. Not a buy. Gary in Texas. Gary. Howdy, Jim, and hook them horns. What are your thoughts about Cinemark, CNK, recently downgraded no, and we- pandemic lows? This is a very difficult business. We have seen the problems. We did a terrific white paper, by the way, for club members, for AMC. Tells you all about the hazardous business, and I'm going to have to say once again. Don't buy. Don't buy. Don't buy. All right, we're not done. Let's go to Kirk in Nevada. Kirk. Hi, Jim. I'd like to thank you for everything you've done. Uh, Thank you, Kirk. What's happening? Uh, My stock is C-A-N-O. Kano Health. Used to be a favorite. Yeah, Hit hard yeah, I, Okay, this Kano down 50%. People thought they were going to be bought by CVS. Did CVS back out? Were there problems with the Kano? I have them down here at these prices. I have to think the Kano is pretty interesting at four bucks. I do like the whole, I like the healthcare space. I think they do quality healthcare work. And I'm going to have to say that I think it's worth buying. All right, maybe we do one more. We go to Allen in Florida. Allen! Jimmy, how about a fly, Eagles fly, booyah to ya? Oh, man, on the road to victory. Let's hit it. Let's hit him high and low. What's up? Let's talk nuclear, Jim. It seems like it's being accepted all over the world. China, Japan, Germany, 
even California's extending it. Uh, seems to be the green energy of choice that's going to get us to our carbon goals. Uranium Energy Corp, UEC, has been strategically buying up mines in Wyoming and Canada. Maybe spend $500 million. Alan, you're too bullish. Alan, you're too bullish. You're too bullish. You're too bullish. There's been no real sign that we're going back to nuclear. It's still a pie in the sky. And that company reflects nothing but optimism. So, therefore, I have to say... Don't buy. Don't buy. Don't buy. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, lessons from Salesforce. Kramer gets real about one he'd like to have back. Next. When I got into this business, I was taught not to second guess myself endlessly. No woulda, no shoulda, no coulda. But this year has provoked more second guessing from me than almost any other period I can remember in my career. Take Salesforce, the cloud software play we've followed for ages. Back in the mid-2000s, I was intensely skeptical of their business model. When Salesforce was at five bucks, I brought CEO Mark Benioff on the show and asked him a series of questions to figure out how he could justify his stock's sky-high valuation. I really didn't care for his answers. But when I tried their customer relations management software, the actual stuff, I thought it was remarkable. It boosts sales tremendously. I brought Mark back on the show, and he explained the long-term vision, how Salesforce could make fortunes if everything panned out. I decided to bet on him right then and there, and the stock has given you some tremendous long-term gains from $5 to 153 Here's the problem, though. Salesforce didn't go from $5 to 153 It went from $5 to 310 and then got cut in half. If you bought it last November, you're down 50%. Just a horrific... The house of pain. I felt every penny of those losses because we own a lot of Salesforce for the Chapel Trust. Even as we trimmed some not long after it peaked, that was good. But I guess in retrospect, obviously, woulda, shoulda, coulda, the whole position. Today, we learned that Starboard Value, a very smart activist fund, took a significant stake in Salesforce. They actually made a great case for owning shares in it, while arguing that the company's incremental margins have lagged its peers, while its long-term targets are less ambitious than its peers, and its stock trades at a significant discount to them, too. They've got a whole slide deck making the case that Salesforce hasn't performed as well as it should, something actually I'm sure CEO Mark Benioff and his team of perfectionists would actually agree with. However, Starboard doesn't address that Salesforce has made a series of admittedly expensive acquisitions, more than $50 billion of them, and I think they're vital to the success of the business, especially Tableau Data for analytics and Slack for communications. Those deals have hurt profitability short-term, though, but customers love the added functionality. So long-term, I think they'll be regarded as genius. On top of that, management did recently set some ambitious targets for the future. They think they can get to $50 billion in sales by 2026 fiscal year, and they also announced a $10 billion buyback. Salesforce told me that they're, quote, now relentlessly focused on delivering profitable and compounding growth at a scale to drive shareholder value, end quote, and I like that. While I don't know what will come of the back and forth between Starboard and Salesforce's management, to me, that stuff's really all inside baseball. It has nothing to do with the horrific decline here over the past 11 months. But in terms of stock picking, there's no woulda, shoulda, coulda here. I dropped the ball with Salesforce. My fault. 
I didn't misread how it was doing as a company. I misread how Salesforce, the stock, could hold up in an environment where the Fed was aggressively raising interest rates while inflation was raging. Richly valued software stocks have all been crushed since the Fed pivoted last November, and that's taken down Salesforce, too, even though it's one of the more mature, more profitable cloud plays. I don't think Starboard's suggestions would have made much difference to the carnage over the last year at all. Salesforce.com's valuation was right if the Fed stood pat, but it was very wrong the moment the Fed took away the punch bowl. You can quibble about the margin targets, but the success of the underlying company cannot be denied. Unfortunately, this was a case where the success of the company was irrelevant. We were simply paying too much for that success versus bonds once rates started rising. That's on me, not on Mark Benioff. We We should have sold it. Back then, it brought back much lower. I really loved it. Here's what drives me nuts, though. I knew the stock was too rich at 300. I knew the cloud-based software stocks were impossible to own in a world where rising, rates were rising all over. But I fooled myself into thinking that Salesforce would somehow be an exception. Because I like Mark Benioff so much, I like the product so much, and I like the company so much. I forgot a cardinal rule of investing. Stocks, not companies, but stocks can get too expensive. And when they do, you can't afford to rationalize or come up with new criteria to justify owning them. I often talk about the Wall Street fashion show. Sometimes whole sectors go out of style and there's nothing you can do except sell, regardless of how much you might like the underlying company. If you try to make exceptions, the fashion show will punish you, just like my charitable trust was punished for holding on to Salesforce.com. That's not on Mark Benia. That's on Jim Cramer. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise you I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.